I draw your attention to the reading in John chapter 9. And I want to speak about the healing of the man born blind. And I want to approach it in this fashion. I want to compare Jesus with religion. So that's the theme. I want to compare Jesus with religion. And on most official forms, there's only one category that fits the work of a pastor. Do you know you tick these boxes? <laughs> they really are a disaster, aren't they? You go through and tick these boxes. And that, that category says this, it's minister of religion. I really do not like it. There's no other alternative. <laughs> I don't feel like putting a tick there. Minister of religion. You have no choice but to select it. I certainly do not like it. Why? The fact that ministering religion is the very thing that Jesus warns about so often. It's the exact opposite of true gospel work. And I think no one expresses this more clearly and vividly than John chapter 9. John chapter 10, as we saw this morning, makes clear that the main point of this miracle story is to starkly contrast Jesus with religion. And there are a number of crucial contrasts here. Number one, the first is that that religion is powerless. Only Jesus can bring real change. Now, it seems to me that this is the most basic lesson for us. You see, this, this man was not healed by going to the Pharisees. And he could never be healed by going to the Pharisees. Verse 7 tells us, we're told that Siloam means sent. And obviously that represents Jesus, the sent one. And it's only in going to the pool that this man's needs could be met. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave this man physical sight. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone who can cure spiritual blindness. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, people will say, yeah, okay, when you say that to them, have you noticed? Yeah, he's a good man. See, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? People will, will they'll agree with that. But then, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then you have problems with you. Then the arguments begin. And it's the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that alone can cure our spiritual blindness. Now, do you realize that? Have you realized that? Don't waste your time going anywhere else. Remember the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16, 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And, and it is the dynamic, the, the, the dynamic power of the gospel that alone can open blind spiritual eyes. So that's the first point, the first contrast. The second point is that religion is all about merit. Jesus is all about grace. John, in the chapter, verse 2, listen to what the disciples say. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And at this point, the disciples represent pure works, religion. And what, were they, what they were saying was this, well, you've got what you deserve. And that's how you understand God. God gives us what we deserve, so they said. And, and, um, and Jesus shows that God is the opposite. God is in the mercy business and not the merit business. And mercy is grace in our miseries. It's a lovely definition, isn't it? It's a lovely word, isn't it? Mercy. Mercy is grace in our miseries. And I was thinking about what's the best approach to talking about grace? And I've been preparing some sermons on grace. I've prepared 10 already, and I'm not going to preach one of those tonight. But, but I've I looked up the definitions of grace, the best definitions of grace that I could find. And here they are. And you know the one, don't you? The acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah? You know that one, grace? This is the best one, a man called James, that I, that I found. James Downey's famous definition of grace. Grace is the love of God spontaneous, beautiful, unearned at, unearned at work in Christ for the salvation of sinners. Isn't that a wonderful definition? And what about this one? Jonathan Edwards. Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful definition. And it seems to me we could talk about grace in this fashion. You remember the story in Luke 10, 25 to 37, the story of the Good Samaritan? And do you remember the, uh, he was mugged in modern terms, wasn't he? And the religious people passed and it was the Samaritan who helped him. And you, you can think of grace like this. Uh, 
sin leaves us like the traveller in the Good Samaritan story. We're robbed, we're stripped, we're wounded, we're left for dead. And grace is the Good Samaritan who comes to bind up the bleeding wounds, sin wounds, and pour in oil and wine. So religion is all about merit. Jesus is all about grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. Not my good works. Not the fact that I'm born in Wales. It's a tremendous advantage to be born in Wales. Race, ritual, religion, um, respectability. I think John Blanchard put those headings in his first book and his best, Right With God. Race, ritual, being baptized. You, you take the Lord's Supper, that won't save you. Race, ritual, religion, that won't save you. Respectability. This idea, and I find, I find kind, good people, in inverted commas, the most difficult to speak the gospel to. Because this is the approach, isn't it? Well, well God won't, won't let, he, he, he'll allow me in, to go into heaven. Because I, I, I'm not in Cardiff prison, I'm not in us prison, I, I haven't done some terrible thing, you see? Um, and religion is all about merit. Jesus is all about grace. Do you know anything about grace? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Opening your eyes to see that you're a sinner. And, and having done that, recognizing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the sinless saviour. Have you fled to him for refuge? <coughs> Religion is all about merit. Jesus is all about grace. And the obvious one to talk about with, with um, merit is, I could talk about Paul, but you know about him, obviously, don't you? And I'm going to just mention Martin Luther. He wanted peace with God. And he thought it was his righteousness that would bring him peace with God. So what did he do? He entered a monastery. He deprived himself of food. He wore a hair shirt. He climbed the steps of a church in Rome on his knees. And so on and so on, trying to earn righteousness. And then, in Romans 1, 17, 16 and 17, I've read 16, I've read. He saw that righteousness was a gift from God and it wasn't his own. The righteousness that, that put, makes us right with God is the righteousness of Christ, not our righteousness. Verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Thirdly, religion operates through fear. Jesus brings new courage. 
in John chapter 9, verses 18 following, and in verse 22 um, in particular, remember I read about the man's parents? Um, they were religious, and because of that, they were bound by fear. The verse says, 22, his parents said that these things, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And the significant thing is this, that, that this blind man met Jesus, he was healed by Jesus, and he grew more and more um, bold as the story progresses. If you have a chance, read it when you go home, John chapter 9. And um, let me pick it up in verse 25. See? He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, this is the man talking, you know, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did you open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him. And then there's that, that wonderful end of the story here, um, which goes like this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And um, he became more bold as the story uh, continues. And the fourth reason is this, that there's the distinction between Jesus and religion. Religion is all about keeping rules. Jesus is all about loving. Now, think of this. You meet this man who'd been blind from birth, and you see that his eyes have been opened on a physical level now. Wouldn't you say, that's wonderful? Even if you're not a Christian. There's a humanity in this, isn't there? This man had been blind, blind from birth. And then he, you meet him and you, you say, well, it's amazing. He now sees. But you see what the Pharisees do? Their one concern is to keep the rules. That's the, the they've got no, no care for the man. Can you see that? the horrible nature of this. His eyes have been opened and um, you would automatically say, oh, isn't that wonderful? But they say, uh, this was done on the Sabbath, so it must be wrong. You see, there's no humanity in them, is there? They had no compassion on the man and they had no joy at his healing. Because for, for the Pharisees, it was all about the religious regulations. And that leaves very little time for individuals. So religion is all about keeping rules. 
Jesus is all about loving people. The next one is religion closes minds. Jesus opens them. The Pharisees knew full well that a miracle had been performed. Despite that, they resolutely refused to acknowledge Jesus. They knew that this, this, this um, healing had been done by Jesus. But you see, this man's simple, the simple man's spiritual eyes had been opened step by step. And then he, until he sees, until he fully sees. Verse 11, he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because you opened your eyes. He said he's a prophet, you see. He's he's developing, you see. Um, There's a development in in his reaction and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 33, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then verse 38, as I've said, the blind man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, what about you? Is it possible that your eyes are beginning to be opened? Many people come to salvation like that. Other people have a Paul of Damascus experience and praise God for that. But both are equal, equally right, aren't they? The Lord deals with us as individuals. And, um, and some people have spectacular conversions. There's a man in our church who's been converted wonderfully out of drugs and drink. And it's wonderful to hear that testimony my testimony was nothing like that brought up in a home, a religious home, Christian home going to church all my life you know going twice on a Sunday, going to prayer meetings all that Um, and despite doing all that over a period of time my eyes were being opened until on one Sunday night Sorry to be personal, but let me tell you. The man preached, no, on Sunday morning, the man preached from Psalm 40. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to you. He drew me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, establishing my ways. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise unto our God. Many will see it and put their trust in the Lord. And my eyes are opened. Now that came gradually. And as a youngster, I used to go to church and count the bald heads. I used to count which, which woman had the best hat on, that type of thing, you know. I went through all that, you know. Um, but but my, my relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ developed that way. Now, some of you can say that there was a moment it happened like that. And I've got a friend, his name is Jackie. Um, sorry, his name is, he's dead now, but... Um, He's a relative of mine. He had a great influence upon me. He was one of five brothers, and he was like the Jesse James gang going around Merthyr on a Saturday night. He'd go to every pub with his brothers, and they'd fight anybody. And um, this one night, he'd been drinking on a Saturday night, 
and he was in bed and his brother was sleeping in the bed with him and there was a man in Merthyr who was a remarkable witness. He, he stuttered and so he had a, a banner with a verse on and he worked in the same place as my uncle and he was forever telling him, come to church, come to hear the gospel. Psst. Ronnie would have nothing to do with it. This night, when he was in bed, at about two o'clock in the morning, he said to his brother, I'm going to see Jim Mason. His brother said, oh, he said, Daft, go back to sleep. His mother said, that's drink. His mother was in the bedroom next door. That's drink talking, go back to bed. I'm going. He went to this man's house who was living on his own, little fella, and Ronnie, Ronnie Robertson, he was six foot five. Massive, bro. He knocked the door, he almost knocked it down. Jimmy, I want to come to church with you tomorrow. <laughs> and, all right, don't, don't panic. <laughs> and um, so he came to church the following morning. And he was gloriously converted that morning on the spot. And what he did was this. I'll finish with this. What he did was this. He went around every pub that he had gone to previously in Merthyr. And he had a good singing voice. And he went into the first pub and there was a lady called Brenda behind the bar. And she said, what do you want, Ronnie? And Ronnie said, I'm not having any more beer. And he sang a hymn. <laughs> and he went around every pub in Merthyr and sang a hymn to the glory of God. What I'm saying is, long for this story, but, but conversions are different, aren't they? Isn't it? God deals with you individually. And um, religion closes minds. Jesus opens them. Now I wonder, are you on, on a journey? Are you somewhere along that journey of having your spiritual eyes opened? Or have you perhaps not begun? God give you the grace to look away unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me just mention this. Who could raise the dead? Who could walk on water? Who could make the deaf hear? Who could make the blind see? Who could multiply food? Who could control evil spirits? Who could know all about a stranger? Who could forgive sins? Who could rise the dead? Who could give us new life? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. No one but Jesus. And finally, religion is about exclusion. Jesus is about welcome. Verse 34 and 35, I won't read them, the time is going. Um, this man is driven out by the Pharisees. And he's drawn in by Jesus. I read 34. And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. God grant, I've been a Christian for 60, 60 odd years. God grant that I'll never become unteachable. Isn't that an awful position to be in? Pray God that, that nobody here is unteachable. Pray God that if we are, we might be humbled and, um, 
and in humility uh, become teachable and then um, useful in service in the church. The religion is about exclusion. Jesus is about welcome. He says this, Jesus heard that they cast him out and when he had found him. Now as he found you, as Jesus found you, he comes looking for you. <laughs> That's why he came into the world. Jesus came into the world, sinners to save. He's looking for you. And as, the, as chapter 10 explains, this is the work of the good shepherd, welcoming people, in contrast to the hired hands who care nothing for the sheep. You see, we're not under law, we're under grace. I wrote this down sometime, but listen to this, by a Puritan called David Brown. And um, he says, law gives the knowledge of sin. Grace gives the knowledge of salvation. Law says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Grace says, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Law is summed up in the word do. Grace in the word done. Law pronounces condemnation. Grace proclaims justification. Law says, pay me what thou owest. Grace says, I freely forgive thee all. Law addresses the sinner, this do, and thou shalt live. Grace addresses him with live, and then thou shalt do. You see? So there's a place for law, isn't there? After we become Christians, okay? Um, law regulates the outer conduct. Pharisees, Pharisees, grace the inner. They're too dangerous for us as Christians. Antinomianism, no must the law, against the law, Phariseeism. Those are two huge dangers for us as God's people. Antinomianism and Phariseeism. Law says, pay me what thou owest. Grace says, I freely forgive thee all. Law addresses a sinner, this do, and thou shalt live. Grace addresses him with live, and then thou shalt do. Law regulates the outer conduct. Grace, the inner. There's a, there's a, somebody said in Merthyr, in a Welsh-speaking chapel, I'll say it in English, um, he's an angel in the pulpit, but a devil in the house. You think of that. Outward appearance. Okay? We can fool each other, can't we? He's an angel in the pulpit, but he's a devil in the house. Think of that. 
See, law regulates the outer conduct. Grace in the law says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all these things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Grace says, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Law demands by the terror of the law, grace by the love of Christ. Law slew 3,000 at Sinai. Grace saved 3,000 at Pentecost. I finish by asking you this, this question, and I think it's a, a vital one. We must, we must not preach religion. And we must, as God's people, we must be very careful that we communicate Christ and his grace and not religious rules and religious duties. And so what people can hear from us is the loving welcome of the good shepherd or the proud rejection of the Pharisee. Let's pray that we become increasingly people so personally touched by God's amazing grace that that, that and nothing else is what we communicate to the lost world around us. God's amazing grace to sinners in Christ alone. And when I was preparing sermons on grace, I was thinking of all the hymns. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Uh, love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all, and so on. And you could think of many more, of course, shouldn't you? God, give us the grace to be increasingly people, as I said, who have been touched by God's amazing grace. It's that that we, that we communicate to the lost world around us. Amen. <laughs>